What exactly do highly successful, purpose-driven CEOs and entrepreneurs actually do? The CEO role is one of the most mysterious positions in business, and a purpose-driven CEO is a different breed entirely. I know because I coach purpose-driven CEOs. My job gives me a unique behind-the-scenes vantage point into their world. For years, I've wished there was a way I could share the stories I hear, the risky calls, the big wins, and the big, big courage of these unique leaders because they have so much to offer anyone who's leading a business or anyone who wants to lead a purpose-driven life. This is the inspiration for the Good Company Podcast. If you want to be more productive, attract the best people, and achieve more positive impact, stay with us. I'm Barbara Shannon, your host, and you are in good company. My guest today is an icon in the plant-based food space. Miyoko Shinner says she's not running a business with a mission, but rather a mission with a business. The mission of Miyoko's Creamery is to create the new gold standard for phenomenally delicious vegan food. Miyoko is passionate about compassion for the lives of all living things, and she's bringing that compassionate mission to life through her leadership of her exponentially growing business. Miyoko, we are truly delighted to have you with us today on the Good Company Podcast. Hi, Miyoko. Hi, Barbara. Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be here. I am so excited to have you with us. Miyoko and I have known each other for a little while, and I've had the really good fortune to travel to travel with Miyoko a little bit on the journey with her company. There is a very moving, impactful business story here. There is a very moving, impactful personal story as well. I'm truly delighted to have you with us. Likewise, and, and you've done so much to help me in my growth on this journey. So thank you so much. You're welcome. One of the topics that's close to both our hearts is the power of values to make meaningful change in the world. Tell us how you discovered that compassion is at the heart of Miyoko's mission. Yes, you know, we define ourselves as a compassion-centric company and it's one of those things as we grow into the leaders that we hope to become eventually as we start businesses um some of us who are natural entrepreneurs meaning you know we just keep finding ourselves reiterating different versions of the same business over 30 years at some point you wonder what was that single thread that was running through all of them why why have i done all of this stuff and i think i discovered that when i when my life sort of took a uh, a turn and i left the kind of businesses in the food industry that i'd always had and i'd always not been very successful i just kept reinventing myself into a different food business and eventually i hit a wall and and i felt very depressed that i couldn't get anything off the ground and i took a break from food for a while i took a break from writing books i took a break from teaching cooking i took a break from uh, running food businesses and i got involved in real estate and for a few years all of a sudden i became that successful person in terms of uh, monetary success. I was all of a sudden making a lot of money. You know, I'm not talking millions, but definitely more than I'd ever made in my life. Feeling good every day that I had income that I could spend on pretty much 
hey, if I wanted to go out and buy a uh, a fancy designer purse, I could without having to worry about how am I going to pay for it. And it allowed my husband and me to uh, buy a nice home and send our kids to private school. And I couldn't believe it. For a few years, I was like, oh my God, how did I finally succeed? You know, in, in not something that I love, but like, I just knew how to do this. I was doing what was called, uh, what are called 1031 exchanges. And I was an exchange accommodator for a while. And I figured out how to do it. And I was really good at it. And I made a lot of money. And then one day I looked at myself, I had turned 50 and I thought, oh my God, is this the rest of my life? I get to now, I go to work, you know, I make this money, I come home, I watch TV, have a glass of wine, uh, maybe, you know, chat with the kids for a while, then I go to bed and then it's the same thing every day. Is this the rest of my life? I've just felt like this was a long wind down. I got really, really, really depressed. And that's when I realized that life wasn't about making money. That wasn't the purpose of success. That was, you know, I maybe I needed to feel like I actually could earn a living <laughs> for once in my life. But life only means something if you can create value. And I was raised a Buddhist, and I was taught that life is about creation of value. You have to create value for the world. That's why we're here. You have to do something that... You know, now everyone says you got to leave the world a better place. But that was really how I believe, you know, I mean, I, I didn't feel good about myself if I couldn't contribute, if I wasn't creating value. And the more I thought about it, I realized that the single thread that had run through all the businesses I'd ever done was about, you know, I, I'm a vegan chef and I had all these vegan food companies and I want the world to go vegan. And why is that? It's because... Veganism, a lot of people think it's about health. It's about our personal health, but that's not what it's about at all. Sure, it's great to be healthy, but it doesn't matter if we're healthy personally, if we're not taking care of the health of the planet and the health of animals and taking care of the health of other living sentient beings on this planet that aren't humans means to let them live their lives as they see fit, not as we see fit for them as food on our plate. They have amazing lives of their own. They have families. They have friends. They have things they want to do. They have things they want to eat and enjoy. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you, having had the honor of knowing so many different species from geese to ducks to, to uh, cows and donkeys and sheep and goats and dogs and cats, of course, the rich lives that they have when you actually let them live their lives. And I realized that all of the world's problems come down to a lack of compassion. Because when we don't care about someone other than ourselves, we make choices that only benefit us and not others. And that's why we have wars, because we want, that's why, you know, we have this huge in income disparity in the world, because it's all about, I want to get to the top. I don't really care about anything else. That's why we have so much suffering in the world, because we just don't care. And if you think about it, every single teaching of every spiritual teacher in the world since the dawn of man has always been about one message. It's only been about love. Love thy neighbor, care, have compassion, help those that are in need. That's the only thing ultimately that matters in the world. But there is an economic reality. We live in a world where there is an economy. And so we have to achieve those means through changing what that economy looks like. And we're in a capitalist society. So how can we, how can we help those? 
that are suffering, not just animals, but people as well. And, and I choose to do that, my work through a food business. And so we're a compassion-centric company. We talk about caring all the time in our company internally, but you know we also believe in creating a world, a food system that does not rely on the suffering of anybody else on this planet, not the suffering of animals, not the suffering of workers. Absolutely profound. <laughs> the more I've spent time with you, Miyoko, and read and learned, it just makes us wonder where we got lost as a species. I guess fear is where we got lost when we became afraid and felt that we have to protect ourselves. That's where we took a turn. And we're coming to the end of the planet's ability to sustain us in our fear. And you're a leader in showing us that the way out of this is to shift from being afraid and moving towards compassion. And I think it's amazing. I love when you've said to me before that you're not a company with a mission, you're a mission with a company. Yeah, and in, in, right. right now in COVID times, it, the need for this is more than ever. You know, what makes me really sad is how our forefathers you know, uh, created a country that was founded on individual rights. And we have forgotten what those individual rights truly mean. Because, you know, we just tout them. Everyone's an individual. You don't have to wear a face mask. I should be able to do whatever I want, despite the fact that others are suffering. And we, we can't build a society on that. I mean, if my individual rights impact your individual rights, I don't know what kind of world we're going to build. So those individual rights were about religious, it was about religious freedom. That's what it was about. It's not about whether or not you know, um, I can do whatever I want. And if I have COVID-19 and, you know, I don't have symptoms and you get sick, I don't really care because that was my right not to wear a mask. I mean, that's not what it's, that's not what an individual right is. Individual rights have to be within the context of a greater societal whole where we can promote the welfare of the entire society. This, we're not, we're a single microcosm in a much, much bigger world and we're all dependent on each other, just like all the cells in our body. There's, it's synergy. We're all dependent on each other. And we, we will truly find our individual freedom when we discover the synergy between all living beings on the planet. And we'll find our happiness, too. When you find that you are no longer creating harm, there is great joy that comes from that. When you can liberate yourself from not hurting others, and you realize you're not hurting an animal or another person. There is great joy that comes from that. I truly believe that living in accordance with the values of compassion and love make you a happier person all around. Yes. And one of the places where you and I connect is my deep belief that living from uh, whatever your values are, in your case, Compassion is the core of everything that you do and not only makes you happier, it creates a better place to work. When those values are the center and become the magnet that emanates out and attracts back people who resonate with those values, you have the right people working for you in the right way with the kind of loyalty that we're all seeking. 
share a little bit about how how compassion as your value affects the way you run Miyoko's. What has it done for you as a company in terms of attracting and retaining talent? What do you think it does for you as a brand with respect to customers, vendors, suppliers? Well, in, in, I'll start from the outside. In terms of customers, uh, both uh, we sell to other businesses, obviously. We go through distributors and, and then the products are in retailers. Because we preach our mission all the time, not just me, but even ads, you know, we'll take out a full page ad, for example, in a paper. And so people know whether you're a retailer, you know, seeing that magazine or you're a consumer who watches our podcasts or our Facebook lives or is on our, our social stream, you know who we are, what we stand for. And so you know, we, we have these impassioned customers, people are like, that's why I love your company. That's uh, this post just made me want to go out and buy more of your product. So we get a lot of that. We get a lot of dedicated people. Cause I think people all want inspiration. They all want, they want to find their own path. They want to be able to support companies with their dollars and all that stuff too. But ultimately people are looking for leadership. They're looking for inspiration. You know, there's not a lot of that in the world and it can come from a company just as well as it could come from a spiritual or political leader. It can come from all these different places. And so I think, you know, we've been really impactful that way, even with the the team that stay, that works from midnight to 8 a.m. You know, I stay here late and I meet with them and I'm the CEO and I will meet with them face to face. It's a smaller team at night and I talk to them about what's going on in the company and what are their concerns. So we really, really try to connect. So we try to bring accessibility and realness about who we are. We share our mission. We talk about what we're doing. And for example, we had this food truck that was going to be a marketing gimmick, not a gimmick, but it was a marketing campaign and COVID hit and we couldn't go on the road anymore. And we were leasing the truck, very expensive, but we decided we're going to put the truck to good use. We're paying for it. We're going to hire some people. And for eight weeks, nine weeks, we went on the road to community centers, homeless shelters, hospitals, and just schools, and just gave out thousands and thousands of uh, grilled cheese sandwiches just because, you know, people were hungry and we had the opportunity to do that. So we try to create a culture internally like that where people can participate we really do try to create a warm family-like atmosphere. I can't say we hit it out of the park all the time. We are continually trying to improve there. But we have a lot of programs in place to encourage people coming together. For example, we have this amazing kitchen where we feed our entire staff. You can come in and have a great meal anytime, day or night. There is a big buffet of food. You never have to bring a lunch because oh my God, if food just gets better and better and better. I've had several meals in that wonderful kitchen and it is incredible food. And it's a great feeling. It's right in the center of everything. And, um, you know, it feels like family, your office. Just a little bit more on when you think about recruiting. Ah, yes, that was the other part, right. Yeah, talk to me about how values are uh, embedded into your recruiting process and what that does for you. Part of the onboarding process, which we're also working to improve, involves discussion of of values. We show videos. 
right now we're talking a lot about Black Lives Matter, for example, internally, and we're putting together a task force in the company to discuss that, to discuss uh, you know, justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, um, and figure out how we can do better. I mean, I admit we haven't done very well in terms of diversity. We're in Sonoma County. The population of Blacks is 1.3% here. And uh, we, we actually do have our first Black director joining us um, next week. But, you know, we have to do better. We have to figure out how do we reach into communities of color where we can find talent that's not represented here. Um, and there is some, you know, we're a little company that's been growing like you know, in the triple digits every single year. And we have barely, we, we have never stopped running. I mean, we, we're like out of breath all the time. And so there's a lot of things we're still not doing well. And so there's a lot of ideals that we have and, and things that we want to do better. And certainly in terms of, of diversity, um, in terms of recruiting, we definitely recruit with our values, our three core values are compassion, courage, and inspiration. And it doesn't mean that the people that come here have to like have all those great values and be the most courageous person and the most inspirational and the most compassionate. That's really not what it's about. It's really about finding people that we think have heart, that have, of course, obviously have the skill set. And then when they join, they become part of a, a a team that talks about these things all the time, that discusses it. And we're trying to figure out how do we implement these values? How do we look internally and become better in implementing those values in our personal lives as well as in the workplace? And and how do we do that? How do we promote that? So it's definitely something we're still working on that we're struggling with, but we feel it's something that's really important to do, especially we're going to get to we're about 140 people today, and 150 people today, and we're expected to hire another uh, close to 50 people th- by the end of this year. So we want to make sure we get this right. Well, I think it's really instructive and important. A lot of people that I work with assume that they're not getting the value thing right or can't prioritize enough time to focus on it and assuming that other CEOs and business leaders, especially ones that have a very values-based brand, have already got this wired. And I think it's really instructive, Miyoko, to share, you know, the way you've just spoken about your journey to realizing the importance of compassion and how that ended up being center. But, you know, the struggle to, even once you realize what you care about and what you want your company's purpose to be about to come out about that fully and find the balance. I'm sure many people ask you, do you have to be vegan to work at Miyoko's? No. I know the (laughs) answer. Yeah. But that's just a really black and white version of the same dilemma or question that a lot of CEOs wonder. If my value is courage, do you need to walk into my company wearing a superwoman cape, right? And so I just think it's great to hear that you don't have it figured out. Truthfully, nobody does. And also companies that are growing fast, even when you get it figured out for a brief moment in time, everything changes, which is where Miyoko's is at right now, right? You're growing, yeah. And, you know, and, and in terms of the compassion piece, I mean, I've slipped up myself. I've, I've done things that made people feel uncomfortable, and, you know, because I was 
well, I mean, I, I'll give an example. We were discussing Black Lives Matter on one of our Zoom calls, and I said, I think it's important for each and every single one of us to reach inside ourselves and, you know, and think about, are there parts of us that could be racist or, or we haven't recognized the white privilege or, or whatever, you know, we, instead of, we have to make systemic change, of course, and, and change policies, et cetera, but we also have to change on an individual basis. So I want, I want to, I said, I'm going to make everyone feel uncomfortable, but I want you to realize that. Black people have been uncomfortable their whole lives. So if you're uncomfortable for 60 seconds, you know, just just shut up and just uh, just swallow it for a minute. And um, I was kind of joking around. I said, but, you know, I'm going to ask everyone to just go around and just talk about, like, how do they feel about racism and where are they? And or is there something that is uncomfortable within you that you want to work on? And I meant that in a very compassionate, open way, like let's all like support each other. And I started speaking about the areas that I've struggled with. I was very open about that to set the tone. And after this was this exercise was done, you know, I had somebody write to me and say, that was great that, you know, I, that, I just loved it. And then I heard from someone else that I put a few people on. Uh, there were a couple of people that were really, really uncomfortable it wasn't even the topic, but they didn't even want, they have problems with just speaking in public. And I was asking everyone to speak up on the Zoom call. And so I had put them on the spot and they were really, really uncomfortable. And I realized that was not a very compassionate thing for me, for me to do. I should have like asked for volunteers. Like I did not handle that well at all. And so I apologized to everyone on the next call, of course. But, you know, as we try to talk about these values, we're, we can also trip up. You know, we sometimes it's not that we're hypocrites. It's just that we're human and we trip up even over our own values sometimes. You know, I was asking everyone to be courageous, but not everyone was ready to be courageous and speak up. So, uh, you know, it's a constant battle of trying to analyze yourself and we're all growing. That's really the bottom line. There is no I don't maybe there's a perfect CEO leader out there. I don't know. If I'm not that I, person, I know that. <laughs> I don't think so. I, at least I haven't met them yet. And I'm sure if there is a perfect CEO, they don't need a coach. So I probably won't meet them. But yeah, I mean, I, and I think then, again, when we add the growth factor in, even in a static world, thank you so much for sharing, you know, being vulnerable and sharing the truth about what happened in that situation. And I'm sure many, many leaders can relate to exactly that. But then when you add the fact that the company is growing so quickly, it makes it even more challenging to figure out what to do and to find and make the time to prioritize meetings of the, you know, the type of the Zoom call that you just described. So uh, very, very difficult. And on the topic of growth, when we spoke the other day, you mentioned that you're obviously making constant changes in the business to accommodate the growth that you're undergoing. But in particular, you spoke about your innovation credo and that you yep. had to recently mm -hmm. update it. It was such yes. an interesting story. But can you start by explaining for some of us who might not know what an innovation credo is and why you had to update yours now? Sure. I mean, when I first started, I was the innovator. All the products 
for the first few years were were done by me. I and I never had to explain my innovation credo to anyone because you know, I knew what I I believed in and I knew what I needed to do. And it, it, oftentimes, in many companies, it's the marketing department that goes out and does these does research, and they go back to the research team and it says, you know, the market needs this. You make to the innovation team, and they tell them what to make. And that's not how we we operate. It was. They were my ideas. I was the innovator. I created these products. So I didn't have to explain it to anybody. And more or less, people sort of got what we were doing. Eventually, I hired uh, food scientists and I had a a VP of R&D and commercialization team. And so we had a bunch of people and um, we launched some new products. And when we went to commercialize them, it turned out that they were hard to commercialize. And so all these sacrifices were made or compromises were made and the product that we eventually launched weren't remotely close to what we initially had created. And that's when I realized that something had gone awry. Where was that innovation credo? What was the innovation credo launch, meet the timeline no matter how crappy the product is? Or do you push the timeline off if you can't get it right? And that's when I realized we need to have a good hard look at we need, I need to actually vocalize that innovation credo. We actually need to all be on the same page so people aren't running around not knowing to what beat they should be dancing. And so it's not that it was anyone's fault, but that we didn't have really strong guardrails. I had failed to put together strong guardrails around the innovation credo that would talk about what type of products we would develop what the parameters would have to be, what sort of ingredients would they have, what were we trying to achieve with those. If we can't find, if we can't commercialize them, then what do we compromise or do we just not launch? Like, what is the plan for that? And so we're revisiting that and putting that together so that we can guide our team so they know what choices to make. It was not, you know, really compassionate to them, honestly, not to have that in place because they didn't know what, you know, they were just doing what they thought was the right thing. And along those lines, just, uh, I found it enlightening. I had no idea what kinds of choices food companies make with regard to the ingredients and products and purity. And it's a good platform for you to just share with us what some of those choices are and the stand that you're taking. What is your innovation credo going to be? Sure. Okay. So for example, you know, we're in the so-called plant-based space where we're replacing animal protein is that's the way the, that's the industry term with plant protein. So, I mean, a lot of things are plant-based. I mean, kale is plant-based because kale is plant is a plant, of course, or, you know, cookies could be plant-based, meaning they have no animal products in them. But what we're trying to do is create dairy products made from plants. And there's several ways to approach that. The vast majority of so-called vegan cheeses on the market are really kind of a science experiment. They're a an emulsion of oil and starch with natural flavors and gums. So uh, if you look at the nutritional profile, it's zero protein. There's like no nutrients at all. It's just calories and fat. That's all. So that's one approach is what does this you know, animal product taste like? And then you try to create that. You try to create the flavor and texture and not pay attention to 
nutrients or quality of ingredients. So that's one approach. Another approach is, you know, something that you're probably reading about, like cellular agriculture. You clone an animal cell and you grow it in a lab. That's another approach. And there's a lot of technology around that right now. And we're probably going to start seeing stuff like that coming out over the next few years. There's a third approach, which is what we are, which is you start out with a whole plant food and you try to find out how can I change the functionality of that whole plant food? For example, you know, it could be oats or nuts or something like that and remain as organic as possible, do not adulterate it as much as possible and try to preserve the integrity of that plant, that substrate. The way we approach it is um, we want to borrow from traditional cheese making technology. So our approach to cheesemaking is sort of a marriage between traditional cheesemaking, which has been perfected over thousands of years using milk from cows or goats or sheep, and applying that technology to milk made from plants. So whether it's nut milk or legume milk or seed milk, and we inoculate all of the milks with lactic acid bacteria, they undergo natural fermentation, and then we have some other proprietary methods that translate that milk, that fermented milk into cheese. So that's our method is we want to maintain that whole plant in its state as much as possible. We don't want to adulterate it with lots of starches and gums and flavors and things like that. We want a really clean ingredient label and we want to produce a product that has nutrients. It has protein, it has calcium, it has, you know, whatever nutrients that plant may have. So we want to tweak that plant to behave like dairy. We don't want to throw a bunch of things in there to get it to be like dairy, if that makes sense. So it's really yeah. just like understanding how can that pl- the behavior of the plant and tweaking it through microbiology, fermentation, and things of that nature. So it's using traditional food approaches like fermentation, but maintaining the integrity of all the ingredients, as many natural right. ingredients as possible, which would result in food that has a real nutrient Content. That's right. It would result in real food rather real than food. fake food. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. So. We love Michael Pollan. What should I eat? Eat real food, mostly yeah. plants. That's not right. Too much. Yes. <laughs> so Miyoko's is going to make real food. Yes. We are making and, real food. Mm-hmm. And that is part of your innovation credo. And I think that's fascinating. And the example is very important because every company runs up against ethical challenges in many arenas, but one of them is always innovation. And what corners will we cut? And what kind of integrity will we have with respect to our process, our suppliers, our supply chain, and even our adherence to deadlines? You know, when you began with the question of, well, it was hard to commercialize and the team was trying to make a deadline, and realizing that one could actually have a value set around quality versus schedule. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And there's always other ways to could compromise that it, it, you know, maybe we could have looked at the problem in a different way and found a different solution. So. Well, and that's one of the things that makes you and Miyoko's so unique because 
you know, I, I know that you are known in the vegan world for your remarkable recipes and for your innovative ability to combine plant-based ingredients into phenomenal food, whether it's on your Facebook show with the recipes that you're sharing and your, you know, that come from your cookbooks or the Miyoko's products. So I think everyone is thrilled that to know that you're back at the head of R&D. Looks like you're there for the long term. I, I think so. I'm going to have some fun too. I'm really glad to be back in there. I mean, you know, we have to, we've got some great people on the team that'll be supporting and we're going to be hiring more. So I'm excited. That's great. And I'm excited to be traversing this next steps of the journey with you, Miyoko. So appreciate your time and everything you've shared about yourself, about the company, about your compassionate model. And I know that I've certainly learned a lot and I'm sure everyone listening has as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Barbara. It's been great. All right. You be well. You too. Thanks. If you like what you're hearing, you'll find all the Good Company podcast recordings on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. If you're curious about working with me, send me an email, barbara at shannon-solutions.com. This episode and all the Good Company podcasts are produced with the help from the amazing team at Resonate Recordings. Till next time, stay strong and carry on. I'm Barbara Shannon, and you've been listening to the Good Company Podcast. Podcast.